Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. To our word for today. We are going to go to Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. We have been in this series that we've called Above All. And in this series, we've studied every miracle that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Now, we've been doing that because we know that if we know, if we can see what he did, we know who he is. If we see what he did, we know who he is. And we want to grow in our knowledge of who he is. And every week, I feel like we're seeing a new facet of him and just growing in our revelation of him. So if you've got it, let's go. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while they were alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. Imagine that. You're out there in the middle of the sea, and Jesus comes walking on the water. Now, when the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, it's all right. I am here. Do not be afraid. Then Peter said to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the other side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when he climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought. The same, but different. The same, but different. Come on, let me lead you in prayer. Father, we thank you for the moments that we've shared in worship. We thank you, God, for this opportunity now to dig into your word. I pray, Father, that as your word goes forward, that our eyes, our hearts, and our ears would be open to receive everything that you have for us. Father, I pray that your spirit would go and touch the hearts in a way that my words never could. I pray that you would uh, uh, touch their minds, Lord God, in a way that I never could. We just pray, Father, that as this word is going forward, that your spirit is just doing something in every heart and in every home. Speak, Lord God. We are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The same, but different. Things change when we get older, don't they? All of a sudden, you used to be quick to recover from an injury, but the older you get, the harder it is. How many of you have noticed that your tastes have changed the older that you got? I remember right when I turned 30, there were certain foods that my body just shut down and said, you can't eat that anymore. How many know what I'm talking about at home? It's, it's, it's a challenge when you get older and things just start to change. But, but I've noticed that as we get older, some things don't change but our perspective, our perspective of those things change. Here, here's what I mean. How many of you remember your elementary school growing up? 
And, and you probably thought this is a big school. It's got a, a big yard and a big grassy area. And then you graduated and you went to junior high school. And if you ever went back to your elementary school after going to junior high school, you probably walked on campus and thought, oh, my God, this, this school's not as big as I remember. And it's the same thing when you go from junior high to high school and you go back to your junior high, you're probably thinking, oh, I thought these lockers were a little taller. I, I thought the school was a little bigger. And so although you've changed because you've gotten older, those schools didn't change. They didn't get any smaller. The lockers didn't get any, sh- any shorter. It's just that your perception changed and you changed. So while there are some things that change as you get older, Some things only change because your perception has changed. Some things only change because you have gotten older. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today in our text. Because this wasn't the first time the disciples were out in the water during a storm. So so let me give you some context here. Last week we talked about Jesus feeding 5,000 men and then there were women and children in the crowd as well. Now, Now this miracle happens immediately Afterwards, there's, there's no gap in time. There's no lapse in time. It's not months and days. It's, it's immediately after. So after Jesus finishes feeding the 5,000, the Bible says that he sends them away. He sends his disciples away, and he goes to a mountain to begin to pray. Now, when Jesus is praying on the mountain, we read that as the disciples were out on the sea, they got right to the middle area of the sea. They were likely fishing because they were fishermen. They were likely fishing out there. And all of a sudden, a storm arose. And a storm arose and began to beat up against the boat. And the Bible says there was a lot of wind that was happening. Now, right about this time, the Bible says it's 3 o'clock in the morning. This is when, That's what it means when it says it was the fourth watch of the night. Right at 3 a.m., Jesus leaves the mountain, and now he's walking on water. And and, in Mark's account, it says that Jesus was about to walk right past them. So imagine that for a second. They're out there on the boat, and Jesus is going somewhere, and and he decides to go by foot over water. So we're already seeing him do all kinds of crazy, miraculous things that can't be done by a normal man. And he's about to pass them up, and it doesn't even seem like he's about to slow down if it wasn't for their screaming. Now, now they got his attention because they first thought he was a ghost, and then they realized it was him, and, and they cried out to him, to stop, and then as we read a minute ago, and what's been preached for, um, for for really thousands of years and across hundreds of thousands of pulpits, we get to that well-known passage of scripture where Peter says, "Jesus, if it's you, let me come to where you're at." And, and Jesus calls him out, and, and Peter begins to walk on water. But but my point being is, this is not their first storm. So so things were the same, but they were different. So let's unpack that together. What, what, what was the same? Well, first off, they were on the sea. That's the same. And second off, they were in a boat. That's the same. And third, it was the disciples. So all of those things were the same. But what's different between this storm and the previous storm they were in? The first time we find them in a storm, and I've preached about that in a sermon called Layers of Love. You can go back and watch it. But in, in that storm, Jesus was in the boat. In this storm, Jesus was not in the boat. Let me say it this way. The boat and the sea were the same, but Jesus was in a different place. The boat and the sea were the same, but Jesus was in a different place. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're not taking, a, if you're not taking notes, don't worry about it. Just write this down anyway. Jesus is on the move. 
Jesus is on the move. Here's what I mean. Too many times we look for Jesus in the place where he used to be. Too many times we look for Jesus in a place that he's no longer at. He's no longer there because he is a moving God. He is a God who is on the move. So what does that mean for me? You have got to move with God. Tell the person on the couch next to you, you have got to move with God. In the Old Testament, while Israel was wandering in the wilderness, the Bible says that at night there was fire, and during the day there was a cloud, and wherever the fire and the cloud moved, the Israel nation would follow. Because God was setting what I believe to be a principle and a precedent that he is a moving God. If you go all the way back to Genesis, the, the very first verses of the Bible, the, the, the Bible reads as follows that in the beginning, uh, the spirit of the Lord hovered. It, it, it moved over the waters. Why? Because he is a moving God. That does not mean that he is a changing God because he is immutable. He is the God who does not change, but that does not mean that he is the God. He's not the God who doesn't move. He is a moving God. Now I say that because there is a danger when you don't move with God. Okay, did you catch that? There is a danger when you don't move with God because when you don't move with God, you're trying to fight a new battle with old weapons. And the fact of the matter is, is you can't fight new battles with old weapons. What worked in 2019 does not work in 2020. Come on, how much more practical can we get? I remember just last year and a few months ago, there were several pastors that still believed that social media was of the devil. And they couldn't get their church on social media fast enough once the pandemic hit. Why? Because when God moves, you have got to move with him. Some of you are frustrated because what used to work does not work. Think about that for a second. What used to work does not work. What used to work was a great Sunday in-person experience at church. That doesn't work anymore because if you're in California, you can't even attend church. And so as things begin to change, you have got to be prepared to move with God. And I think some of you have seen that in your marriage. Some of you have seen that in your career. Some of you have seen that with your own goals for your life. If you're not prepared to shift with what changes, you're not going to ride the move of God. But I want to move when God moves. Come on, someone type that in the comment section. Let's move with God. Now, now, and I started thinking, God, why do you want me to move? Because, you know, if there's one thing that we don't like to do as humans is we hate to change. Can I get a good amen on that? We are creatures of habit. We don't like to change. And so I'm like, God, why would you demand us to move with you if you knew that we did not like to move? And here's the reason why. I believe that if we don't move with God, if we get too in love with what we used to do, we will love our solutions more than God. You could love the stuff that you can fall in love with what God did more than what God is doing. And so he moves so that you are always connected with him. He wants to make sure that you are in love with him. As a matter of fact, it's one of our four values at Lighthouse Church that we would love 
God and in our humanity, we, we have a tendency to, to, to um, romance the way things used to be done. Come on, I'm, I'm going to be 40 years old this year, and, and, and I have to fight this back because oftentimes we think that the way it was done when we were younger was the best way. Come on, how many you know someone like that? That's always romanticizing about the past. And that's just the way we are in our condition. And, and what will happen is we will get so attached to the past that we don't move with him. Or we will get so attached to a system that we don't move when God moves. This is what happens when relationship goes to religion, okay? Because we fall in love with the way things are done rather than falling in love with God. And when God moves, I move with him. And when God pivots, I pivot with him. And when God goes in this direction, I will go with him. So God will keep moving in your life so that you are tethered to him and not to stuff. God will move so that you are always connected with him and not connected with what used to be the solution. So, so that's one thing that's changed. They're in a sea. They're in the boat. But, but he's not there. That's new. You want to know what else has changed? Their hearts. The hearts of the disciples have changed. Now, now let me explain it this way. This story is found in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and in John's gospel. And, and you have to really read that in all three gospel accounts to get the full context of what's going on here. But in the book of Mark, we read that the disciples really struggled with Jesus' last miracle. The last miracle where Jesus fed 5,000, I mean, if that happened on my watch, I'd be like, Jesus, you are the man, there's no one like you. But the Bible doesn't say that. In Mark, it reads as follows. Then Jesus climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. The disciples were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. I would, that doesn't get preached about a whole lot. We just like talking about walking on water. Let's just get out of the boat and walk on water. No, no, no. Let's pause for a second. Why were the disciples so upset with Jesus? Why were they so upset with the miracle that Jesus performed when he fed the 5,000 people? Here's the reason why they were struggling. Because in John's gospel now, right after Jesus fed the 5,000, it said that Jesus sent the 5,000 away, and then he sent the disciples away. And read this in John's gospel. Jesus sent everyone away because they were getting ready to make Jesus their king. That's what it says. They were getting ready to crown him. And he was not done with what he had to do here on this earth. So the reason the disciples were in the boat and in their feelings is because Jesus was getting ready to be promoted. Now, again, the Bible says there were 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. So there could have been 10,000, 12,000 people, but they were ready to crown Jesus. And the disciples were like, this is so great. You know, we've been nomads. We don't have a house. We don't have any money. I mean, Jesus has turned us into a, a bunch of homeless followers. I mean, it's been great. It's been cool to see him open up blinded eyes. It's been great to see the deaf hear. It was really cool when he raised that dead person. But I mean, they're about to make Jesus king. And they were probably thinking, we're his disciples. So you know what that means for us? Come on, we're going to be hot shots. We're going to have money. We're going to have fame. We're going to have notoriety. And Jesus sends everyone away. That's why Mark says when Jesus got in the boat, the disciples didn't understand what had just happened and their hearts had become hard. They thought, 
for a moment. You see, they thought for a moment that finally all of their hard work was going to become earthly reward. They thought for a moment that by Jesus being king, they'd now be set up for a life of pleasure. But can I tell you that Jesus is not here for you to live a life of pleasure? I know that's contrary to the American gospel because the American gospel wants to tell you that if you fall in love with Jesus, he's going to give you everything you want. He's going to give you a mansion. He's going to give you a Bentley. He's going to give you all of these things. But, but I'm, I'm sorry. That, that, that's not what this book says. Does he want good things for you? Sure. Um, is, is he for you? Absolutely. Are you, his, are you made in his image? Absolutely. But your pleasure is not his number one priority. And the disciples got to this place and they got hard hearted because they wanted Jesus to be king. They wanted Jesus to be crowned because they knew that by proximity, they would also be recipients of that blessing. But that's not why Jesus was here. And it certainly wasn't his time. And here's the big idea that I want you to get. The disciples were mad at Jesus because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. And I think many times that's how we are with God. We get frustrated with him because things don't go the way that we want them to go. And so in reality, we are making our preferences our God. In reality, we are making our pleasures our God. In reality, we are making the things that we possess and obtain in this world our God. But do we really love him? Are we really committed to? This is why, again, he is a moving God. And so the disciples, when Jesus got in the boat, the Bible says their hearts were hard. And, 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 and I began to think about how could it be so? It used to be enough to see Jesus do the miraculous. It used to be enough to see Jesus heal the blind man. It used to be enough to see Jesus open up deaf ears. It used to be enough when Jesus would heal the multitudes. But suddenly... That wasn't good enough for the disciples anymore. Suddenly, they wanted earthly pleasure. But listen, Jesus is the same, but now the disciples were different. And if you're not careful, you're going to fall into the same line of thinking. Now, I ask you that question. When did God stop being enough? When did God stop being enough? When did his presence stop being enough? When did we fall more in love with stuff? than him when did we fall more in love with stuff than him i think about new believers for a second y'all know what i'm talking about someone that is new to the faith they are usually hungry for the word passionate in their worship early to church the last to leave always available to serve but then what happens after some seasoning they can't be counted upon and even though god didn't change they changed they changed so it's the same, but it's different. So, so, so what do I do with that? Let me, let me take you to the last point in my sermon here. So, so the, the wind and the sea and the boat, those are all the same. Jesus' location, that changed. The disciples' hearts, that changed. But, but there's one last thing that I noticed that changed in this story. Peter changed. Peter has changed since the last storm. Let me unpack that. Peter is a lot. I love Peter. He is my favorite 
character in all of the Bible, really because he is larger than life. He is an incredible personality. I mean, if Peter had a podcast, I would subscribe to Peter's podcast because you know the things Peter would be saying would be wild because Peter, he had no filter. I mean, Peter just said whatever came to mind. He spoke before thinking, and half the time when he was thinking, when he was speaking, you knew he wasn't thinking. But I believe that what happened in this moment here is the reason why Peter was the leader of the New Testament church. Because the Bible says when all the other disciples were mad at Jesus, when they were in their feelings because Jesus wouldn't become king, when all the other disciples were just in the boat mad, Peter said, Jesus, let me come to you. Let that sink in for a moment. When everyone else was on the, in the boat, in their feelings, it was only Peter who said, let me come to you. Now, Peter was far from perfect, but he was the only one willing to go to where Jesus was. And as long as he kept the focus on Jesus, he was actually able to walk on the waters and brave the storms. You see, the old Peter was the Peter on the boat who woke up Jesus when Jesus was asleep the last time they were in the storm. You remember the story. Jesus was sleeping in the boat, and it was the old Peter that said, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? But the new Peter, the Peter who has changed, when he sees Jesus walking on water, he's not crying. He's saying, Jesus, can I come to where you're at? Jesus, let me walk on the waters with you. Peter wanted to move with God. And even though he didn't walk on water much, it was just enough for him to leave an eternal legacy. And as I mentioned earlier, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of sermons have been preached on Peter's ability to walk on water because he kept his eyes focused on Jesus. And I'm coming to a close now. But I really want to drill this home right now. Because I believe that in this quarantine that we are living through right now, some things are going to be the same, but some things are going to be different. Some people are saying that there is going to be a new normal when we get out of this. And I, I, I like that language. I actually think it's a pretty good description, a new normal. And, and some of you want to know, how, how do I prepare for this new normal? I've got a very simple answer for you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It is just that simple. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, when Jesus moved, he moved. When Jesus pivoted, he pivoted. And, 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 and you actually see uh, throughout the rest of the Gospels and into the book of Acts, uh, anything that Jesus told Peter to do, Peter moved with God. Now, now, now sometimes he had his moments. But it was Peter who first got the revelation of who Jesus was. It was Peter that followed Jesus up to the mountain of transfiguration. It was Peter that went with Jesus into Gethsemane to pray. You see, Peter stuck close to Jesus from this moment forward. There were times when nine of the disciples wouldn't be around. But you know who was always around? Peter was always around. Why? Because he was focused on Jesus. So I'm telling you, if you move with Jesus... And don't get tethered to what used to work. You're going to be okay. 
you're going to be okay. Now, I'm not here saying that God's going to give you all the money you want and the car you want. That is not it. And that's not the gospel we preach. But I will preach and teach that Jesus is our portion and that he is more than enough. And you could take away everything, but as long as I have Jesus, I have enough. And so the way you make it into this next season where things will be the same, but they're going to be different, is get tethered to him. Come on, uh, how many of you can, can get tethered to him? How many of you can make a commitment to start getting up early every morning and praying more? Come on, how many of you can make a commitment to start waking up and reading your Bible more? How many of you can make a commitment to spend more time in devotion with him? How many of you can make a commitment to get tethered to Jesus? And wherever he goes, that's where I go. And wherever he moves, that's where I'm going to move. And if he turns around, I'm going to turn around with him. And if he leads me down in that direction, I'm going to go down in that direction with him. It doesn't matter what happens in life around me. It doesn't matter if my days are good or if my days are bad. None of those things are going to change my desire. There's only one thing that I want to do from this day forward, and that is to be tethered to him. Because when I'm tethered to him, no matter what changes and no matter what stays the same, I am anchored and I am sure in him. Let me close with saying this. The ones who walk on water are the ones who desire to move with him. And they are the ones who keep their eyes focused on him. Right there where you're at, let me pray with you. And let's just allow the spirit of the Lord to minister to you wherever you're watching from. Father, we thank you for this moment. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.